Welcome to Industry Focus, the show that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. Today, we're talking energy and industrials. It's Thursday, 2nd of November, and we're going to be weighing in on GE and discussing the rumor mill around the November 13th announcement. Joining me in the studio is longtime host of the show and Motley Fool contributor, Sean O'Reilly. Good morning, Sarah. How does it feel to be back in the studio? Uh, you know, I was just thinking to myself, I had, I got the the headset on, mm-hmm. I, I got the chair, I got my computer in front of me, and I was like, oh. I got like a, a flowy zen state. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, it's just like old times. This is great. So no yoga for you. It's like just riding a bike. Studio. Yeah. Uh, I do have to say once again, uh, the, the British accent is <laughs> the greatest addition to the show. It's like uh, like John Oliver's the best late night comedy show, but it's that's not because like although they do fantastic research, but it's just the British accent. I think you're gonna have people writing and contesting them. <laughs> really? I mean, Dylan sounds fun too, but like. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so today we're going to be talking about GE. As I said, uh, year to date, the stock is down 36 and a half percent. So there's some very, uh, some very uh, annoyed GE investors. Um, in the October report, uh, GE. Rep- G had its first profit miss in two and a half years. The company cut full-year earnings targets, and many analysts are speculating a dividend cut might be coming soon. For some background, if you're just getting interested in GE, uh, it's been through a period of divestitures to refocus on its industrial core. So in the past few years, they've sold off their real estate portfolio, and while most of GE Capital sold, sold home goods, which is dishwashers and appliances, and their media properties. Uh, more recently, they're selling their water business, their electrical equipment business, and now even the light bulb business is up for sale. They can't get rid of that. <laughs> Edison turning in his grave. <laughs> uh, facing uh, cyclical headwinds, particularly in the power and gas, power and oil and gas segments, sorry, and causing investors to worry about cash flow. So only three months into the job, new CEO John Flannery is facing pressure from activist try and fund management and other investors to reduce costs. Flannery became CEO uh, August the 1st. Um, what do you make of his performance so far? Uh, well, he went in there and just cleaned house. And I think for the first couple of months, he uh, read up on every division and met with people. And uh, he did, unsurprisingly, because of his uh, history in, in finance at GE and uh, then in healthcare, he expanded the gross margin a, a bit. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about that later. But um, He's probably doing the necessary things. Um, it's when we talk about the future that things get dicey. Um, I think he's an awesome guy. Um, I just, I wonder what the the board of directors choosing him says about what everybody thinks the future of GE is. Mm-hmm. I think I that's a very good point. I think uh, he was kind of a underdog for for the position, um, and. There was a really interesting uh, piece when they announced this. Uh, Emmelt said that at one point Flannery was in his doghouse. Oh my gosh! So int- I missed that. What happened? I don't know. That's all he said. He said that he's uh, ran five different businesses, or he's been part of five different businesses, um, and at one point he was in his doghouse. So for me, I think that that kind of speaks to the fact that people are looking for a change um, right. in culture. That's so interesting because um, if the if there's one thing that I would never question about Mr. Flannery is his. Like loyalty mm-hmm. to the company, like he he went to India. They asked him to go to India and Japan to start get things going there. And um, we actually don't know a great deal about the results that he he got there. Like they they talk it up, but like we don't mm-hmm. we don't have a ton of data or anything. But um, he's been he's been with them for thirty years. I mean, what he, he's literally a company man. So it's funny that he was in the doghouse. Kind of like like the loyalties there. So mm-hmm. what was the the disconnect. Yeah, and it seems like he's gone in there with a really clear idea of what he wants to do. Like you said, he's cleaned house. There's been uh, some executive moves. He wants to sell underperforming businesses, cut costs, um, 
And he's given trying a seat on the board, which I guess is debatable. But something that he has said that I think is interesting, he says, G has a, a number of strong franchises, but other businesses drain investment and management resource without the prospect of substantial reward. So he is laser focused on kind yeah. of getting rid of those. It reminds you a little bit of what uh, Jack Welsh did back in the 80s. Um, and uh, he, uh, it's interesting, though, Flannery's, he's like, he's, a, he's like me, he's like a finance guy, right? And uh, Welsh, I think he got his start. He has a degree in like, Chemical, mm-hmm. industrial chemicals, or something. You're you're the industrial gal yeah. from. Uh, he, he's he's technically a scientist, like from college, I think. But he, you know, he worked his way up through the ranks as like you know chemical engineer, just something. And then, uh, but he went in there and he was like, okay, if we're not number one or number two in a market, we're selling the business. Mm-hmm. And I mean, he sold a ton, and then he plowed that money into stuff. Um, we, we time will tell, but uh, yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that that could be uh, his intention. I think something that I really like about him is he has skin in the game. He bought uh, 2.7 million of stock shortly after becoming CEO. That's we, a chunk of change. Well, yeah, <laughs> we don't know. That could be loose change to this guy. But I like uh, CEOs who put money where their mouth is. For, um, for sure. Yeah. And I mean, he's speaking, he's, you know, he's saying a lot of the right things uh, about cutting corporate expenses. The Jets have taken up a, well, a lot, a lot actually, of media time. I, I read it on the way in. There's like 700 company cars mm-hmm. that executives could use. I'm just picturing, okay, 700 cars. I mean, they just have a giant parking garage, like a giant parking Presumably, structure yeah. somewhere. <laughs> yeah, and, and, you know, ironically, that wasn't the worst thing. But I think a lot of these have been exaggerated. But the very fact that he's kind of addressing these small, uh, low-hanging right. fruit is a good sign. It's yeah. a good sign of a change in the industry. And, you, you know, you touched on uh, healthcare. Um, we kind of have slightly different views on this. I think that in two years, which is a very short time, um, For sure. is in leadership position, he did make an impact. I mean, he, he del- delivered organic growth which for a mature company is kind of rare. Um, but yeah, what do you make? So I, you'll remember when I called in, it was the first, second episode that you, mm-hmm. you, you yeah, took the reins. And Taylor Muckerman was here, and he, he, he Muckerman contributed to the Baker Hughes discussion, which a lot of GE's futures tie to this. And it's everybody would look like a genius if oil prices doubled tomorrow. Yes. Like, that's the other fun part about all this. But anyway, so... Um, Every press release, every interview, everybody, the first thing they talked about Flannery was his, his GE healthcare performance. Um, and I, I mean, technically he did, and we don't know, I, I wish I knew about their like diagnostic machines and stuff, and I don't, I mean, I've got my market share data here, but I don't, mm-hmm. you know, we don't know how tough that business is. Like, I don't know if they just need more salespeople to get hospitals to buy these things. Like, it's, we don't know how hard it was, but nevertheless... Everybody talked this thing up, and profits went from, uh, you know, I think he took the reins in like spring 2014 or something, and then you got to get a handle on things. But uh, margins were up 100 basis points, as, as you mentioned. Revenues, although, you know, he took reins in 2014, revenues for GE Healthcare went from 18.3 billion, and then they stayed flat. But then comes the margin expansion. Operating profits for the division in 2014 were three billion. They dipped in 2015 to 2.9 billion. It's kind of like, okay, what's going on there? And then it rallied uh, to 3.2 billion. But um, you know, over that same time frame, I got uh, <laughs> aviation. Mm-hmm. I had to because you know, I'm with you. <laughs> it's my favorite. Um, 
you know, revenues for that division, 2014, 24 billion, they go to 26.3 billion, and then profits for that division, this was awesome, uh, up 25% over those two years, 5 billion to 6.1. And so everybody was calling him out as this like awesome manager, and he cut costs and he saved them or whatever, but the growth was not there. It went from, it, it was literally flat, 18.3 to 18.3 over 2014 to 2016. Profits, I mean, it rallied a little bit. And again, we don't know how hard it is to sell these diagnostic machines and this is not exactly gum like you only mm-hmm. buy a machine for 20 years yeah. and I, I would say too like it, his the 2015 results were probably somewhat uh instigated in 2014 when he wasn't there for sure um yeah. so i think you know people saying that he uh, improved margin and everything else a lot of people are probably taking his 2015 to 2016 uh stats and i do think it's a very small it's a very short amount of time to be in yeah. leadership. Uh, so people are probably clutching at straws a little bit, but I, I think I think you can read some positive signs in that. Um, the recent results for G, uh, in case uh, anybody's missed it, they missed estimates. They were meant to get 49 cents per share. They came at 29. They incurred huge restructuring charges. And at first glance, uh, their revenue was up 10%. But as you mentioned earlier, the Baker-Hughes uh, merger really contributed to that. And right. if you take that out, it would have been flat. Uh, the equipment segment revenues declined 10%, power business uh, profit came 50%. So all of this basically generated a lot of concern over cash flow. So GE is such a huge company, it's, it's got good cash flow, but not good enough. So if you look, they had a target of $12 billion. Uh, for the year. This has fallen to $7 billion. They have a historical capex of $4 billion. The problem being their dividend payments run $8.8 billion. <laughs> you uh, had to feel bad for him on the conference call too, because yes. I think the first words out of his w- w- mouth, more or less, were like unacceptable or something. Yeah, and he apologized. You, for you had to feel for him because mm-hmm. it's like you mentioned with healthcare, like the results that we just witnessed. Like he didn't do that, mm-hmm. like at all. Yeah, and you know, like uh, you know, incoming CEOs have to deal with this a lot, right? Uh, but I like the approach that he took. I mean, he seems very, very much invest- investor focused. He actually said he's had a, a history of kind of focusing on what the investor wants. Um, however, uh, you know, a lot of investors are believe this stock is a blue chip, uh, safe four point five percent dividend yield, founded by Thomas Edison. Exactly. Oh. Um, you know, one hundred and twenty five year old business, and it's. Likely, I believe that they are going to cut that dividend. Yeah, I was reading on the way in. Um, forgive me, I think Jeremy Bowman of the Fool mm-hmm. wrote it, but um, he pointed out that um, in the conference call, uh, what did he say? He said um, they have to balance the dividend with their growth initiatives. Yeah, and I think that's sensible for sure. But if you're a dividend guy, I mean, everybody went nuts. I mean, the stock what fell thirteen, thirteen percent, yeah, on yeah. that day. Um, the worst performance since the Great Recession in one week. Ugh. And that was, <laughs> they had the finance arm then. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's not as terrible as people think because they have a lot of cash on hand. They could they right. could finance this. Um, the thing is just such a change in uh, kind of attitude. Jeff Ermalt said the dividend was sacrosanct. He said cutting it in 2009 was the worst day of his tenure. And yet Flannery has come in and said there are no sacred cows. Capital allocation is an emotionless decision. And uh, as you said, you saw which is awesome. Anybody that says that you want exactly when you get companies this big, uh, this this mature and hard to grow. I think that you need somebody to come in and make the tough choices. Right, like getting getting rid of all those jets and cars and stuff. Yeah, exactly. So uh, we're going to hear about 
the potential with a dividend on the November 13th meeting. There's been a lot of rumors around it, but what do you think? Uh, what are you looking for when they announce? It depends because you could do kind of the uh, the Exxon Mobil route. Um, you know, we've had this this downturn in the oil sector for a long time, and is it the three year anniversary this Thanksgiving? Mm-hmm. I, we we called it with uh, Crow and Muckerman. We called it the Thanksgiving Day Massacre. <laughs> it was it's OPEC true. refused to cut production in 2014. <laughs> Um, but ExxonMobil's kept up their dividend. They, I think, they use literally the same words. I'm saying like they, we were going to do this, and you just their balance sheet is so big. You issue debt, you have a little cash flow. Uh, it's fine, and you just you you kind of write it out. Um, I I'm of the opinion that in order to really get things going for GE and be here in another 125 years. Uh, they need to go all in on the innovation and the growth. And um, you look at um, like Google, for example. Um, I think they make tw- they made like twenty six billion dollars in um, last year, and they spent twelve on R and D. That actually borders on irresponsible, but that's a lot of money. And there, there's all these moonshots, mm-hmm. and you know. G practically, they were, uh, they actually, uh, market share, they're number two in the world for making wind turbines, for example. Um, that business did not, like, how many wind turbines were there 20, 30 years ago? And they, they need to be doing more of that in mm-hmm. order to really get, maintain its leadership position in corporate America, or actually the world. Because, I mean, this, let's just face it, things are changing. Yeah. And I- they're, it's faster now. You uh, you actually said this earlier. You made the analogy with uh, Jack Welsh, mm-hmm. um, talking about how he used to sell kind of the, the the big companies in order to fund some of these ventures. Um, and you know that's possibly something that we could see. Uh, he he plans finally plans to sell about twenty billion uh, worth of businesses. And I think Wait, on that's, the, that's walking around money. Yeah, the cho- on the chopping <laughs> block is you know the the transport division. I think that contributed four point seven billion. Uh, of a total revenue of 124, mm-hmm. essentially. Um, and then the healthcare technology segment, which is centricity. I actually don't know much about centricity. I wish. <laughs> um, is, is also kind of potentially going to be up for sale. So we ha- we might see some of this uh, this legacy plan that used to be enacted right. kind of re- revisited. Um, but we're certainly going to see a new operating process put in place. We're going to also see uh, a change in how they communicate to investors. I don't know if you've seen any of this, but the SEC sent them a uh, commentary note to say that they're kind of irresponsible in how they present to investors. This is the old story about G's creative accounting. Uh. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, it's Bornstein, Jeff Bornstein, right? Yeah. He's an ex-CFO. He was pegged to be... He was out. Ex- He's out yeah. now, right? He is out. He is out. And uh, understandably, I think, uh, if you give, if you take into consideration the fact that they, ML confirmed the guidance last December of, what was it, $2? Yeah, it's like the number, we probably shouldn't go, this number 212 popped in my head for some reason. Mm-hmm. I have no... You know. Well, I mean, they're going to miss that by about. 50%. Oh yeah, it'll... so it's it is irresponsible, and I think they use a lot of terms that aren't generic in the industry. For example, that their, their kind of non-GAAP core EPS is worded as industrial operating plus verticals slash EPS, well, and it's like say that five times fast, exactly, right? Yeah. And uh, it's 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 a little bit. Everybody worships Jack Welsh, um, and he did some things there that were very very admirable, but. Um, the bottom line for that man was, as I understand it, like EPS growth, mm-hmm. earnings per share growth. And any any investor that's starting to learn about accounting is earnings per share is this wonderfully creative, fudgeable, fudgeable <laughs> gappy thing. Yeah. And 
I can't even I I can't even say what you just said with like plus vertical. Yeah, plus vertical. Why? Why? I, <laughs> you know, the, the, um, the good news is the incoming CFO, um, Jamie Miller, I think is her name. Um, she's promised basically to go back to basics and kind of revisit all of finance one hundred and one. Yeah, so that's perfect. But. So I do have to ask you, since uh, I we have you here, um, so I'm gonna play host for a second. <laughs> um, what did you guys at Rolls Royce? What was the the opinion on the floor of GE Aviation? I think, um, I mean, we always saw GE as obviously our main competitor, despite the fact that they're a much bigger company. Right. But in aviation, it really is kind of a it's a two yeah a two horse race duopoly. Um, and I think that the perception was that they had a lot better manufacturing processes. Uh, Interesting. That they probably had less bureaucracy. Although I think that that is that is a bad perception. I think every company has a huge amount of bureaucracy, particularly in a company, in an industry so heavily regulated as right, aerospace. because these fly planes with yes. people in them. <laughs> but the perception certainly was that they were a little bit ahead of the curve in terms of the power by the hour, you know, the industrial internet applications. Yeah. Um, a little bit ahead of the curve in, in sort of the manufacturing processes. Um, what Rolls-Royce really holds dear is kind of the innovation and the engineering quality. Okay, um, yeah. But whether that's true or not, I think it's peanuts at this point. Right. But what do you what do you make of you know if anybody's looking at GE stock now and thinking it's down thirty five percent, would it be a buy opportunity for you? Turnaround story, man. Uh, I mean, this oh geez, it's down. Oh gosh, it just sank below twenty. I'm looking at it right now. <laughs> Nineteen ninety one as of eleven twenty five a.m. on November second. Yowza. Uh, dividend yield four point eight percent. Is that real? <laughs> um, Beware of the dividend. Yeah. Right. Um, I, I might need to look at this as a, a Ben Graham below book value thing soon. Um, that's what makes a market, right? You have a bull and a bear. Mm-hmm. And so far today, 31 million shares have traded hands. Somebody sold that, and somebody bought all that. Mm-hmm. And it was actually probably an algorithm that doesn't care. But um, if you, it's an unknown quantity, but if you are buying the innovation ramp up and the industrial internet stuff, this is, it would be a fantastic bargain. What I'm nervous about, and the reason I'm not jumping into the stock just yet for me or my son's education mm-hmm. account or anything yet, is um, my read on Flannery and just the choice of him was because they had faster growing divisions over you know the, let's take the time that he was at GE Healthcare, 2014 ish or whatever to 16, they had faster growing divisions in both revenues and profits. Why did they pick him? They, literally, the first thing out of everybody's mouth was the the profit margin, operating margin, hundred basis point expansion. He was the finance guy. He actually helped start GE Finance in the eighties or something. I can't, you know. Um, and to me, I would have wanted like what Ford has done. They got like a hip tech guy, the guy from um, he ran Steelcase. Yeah. yeah, he. I, I think they need to go all in on like crazy innovation. And what what I saw was they picked somebody like me, like he's a finance guy and I, awesome with spreadsheets. But uh, Eddie Lampert, CEO of Sears, he's a finance guy. And you hear these stories about how he would just sit with dual monitors in his office running Sears, just massive Excel spreadsheets. And to me, it seemed to me like you needed to get uh, some fashion people and just have them go nuts with inventory. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I mean, I think you and I have differing views um, on the stock right now. You probably have the correct one. But. No, <laughs> no, no, I mean, I could have egg on my face as soon as the 13th of November. But um, I actually, I have invested um, at, at this. I think it's priced well. At it was the a dividend, wasn't it? <laughs> it really got me that 4.8%. Um, and uh, the reason that I think this is, uh, you know, Buffett's be fearful when others are greedy and greedy when others are fearful. I think this is a prime example of this. And I think if people wait till things shake out, it may be too late. And right. this company has been around for 125 years. Um, it's a long time. I think management's trimming the fat and appropriately diversifying. I think the crux of the issue for the company is a PR one because GE has historically been for sure. a power, oil, and gas company, and those businesses are undoubtedly underperforming. And when those three segments fail, GE doesn't work properly in people's minds, right? And that's led to some panic. Um, so, understandably, so and to a degree, these segments contribute about fifty percent um, of the revenue. But to put it into perspective, revenue declined one percent, operating profits seven percent, and earnings were off by nine percent. So that's bad. For GE, right, and you then have these uh, other segments, as you touched on, uh, aviation and healthcare post- posting profit gains, um, and organic revenues rising two percent for the first nine months of this year. So I think I think that the situation that you have is it's kind of getting a bad rap um, because everybody is so focused on these businesses. But to kind of touch on what you said, if they can invest in um, innovation. The industrial internet, if they can add services to their installed base, which, which would be awesome, huge, that, yeah, yeah, that that could really actually, mon- if they can monetize that, it will deliver growth. The margins are thirty percent in that. Oh my business. gosh! So, I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah, it's. Um, I mean, that's like a SaaS business, like software as a service. Mm-hmm. It's just like you're getting money for taking care of this thing that you sold them. It's yeah, awesome. exactly. <laughs> yeah, and and just for if anybody's listening and they're kind of wondering what we're talking about with this Internet of Things, industrial internet. Uh, for each industrial device G sells, they can add a little sensor, which makes the equipment smart. Um, it can they put one of those in me? Or? <laughs> I wish they'd do it for me, too. Uh, it can record a lot of data. It sends this back to GE. It's analyzed. And then uh, GE basically enacts improvement suggestions so it can become more efficient. It can last longer. Um, basically, the intention is to reduce the overall cost of that product. Um, and as, as we said, yeah, the, their industrial operation is their core industrial operation is cyclical. It tracks the economy. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why you're seeing the difficulty that they're having right now in power with the oversupply in the market and in oil and gas, because, you know, just the depression of the stock prices. I almost wonder, uh, we just got a good GDP report, annualized basis, it was like 3%. I wonder if that's like good for them. Yeah, I mean, it, sh- <laughs> it should be, I think. And we're starting to see a pickup in oil and gas now. Um, so hopefully they'll benefit from that. But if you do, if you if you basically your whole business, which it isn't, but the fifty percent of their business is tied to economic growth, which is you know a few percentage points Things, here and there. Industry, yeah. Um, what could really unlock a huge amount of potential is increasing these service contact contracts because, as we said, it's thirty percent um, potentially additional margin. For sure. Um, so awesome having you today. Thank you so much. This was a wonderful conversation. I uh, I missed it. <laughs> Um, I'm just gonna sit around. I'm gonna like just stand outside the studio. I think you should come back. You think? Yeah. I think we should talk about it and see if I'm completely wrong on that. After, uh, okay, I'll be back in two weeks. That'll be good. <laughs> <laughs> the um, I think I think a lot of the worry about the dividend is priced in right now. Yeah, that's my that is my theory. But I mean, there could be a kind of a mass exodus. But anyway, thank you very much, Sean, for coming in. This sharing your wisdom. cannot thank you enough for the invite. Uh, so that's it from us today. If you would like to get in touch, please feel free to email us at industryfocus@full.com or tweet us on Twitter at mfindustryfocus. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. 
For Sean, I'm Sarah Priestley. Thanks for listening and call on.